sermon for today is called A Mission of Glory. We're on a mission from God. These words, as holy as they may sound, actually comes from a 1980s hit movie, The Blues Brothers. Oh, man, if you haven't seen this, such a great movie. So the Blues Brothers about this uh, convict that just this, this paroled convict, Jake Blues, and his brother, Elwood, who set out on a mission from God to prevent the foreclosure of a Catholic orphanage in which they grew up. And they plan on re reuniting the band. Let's get the band back together. We'll raise the funds so we could pay the taxi properties, which was 5,000. Man, the 80s was a good time, ain't it? <laughs> to save the orphanage. And through this mission from God, they felt they were on as they were seeking to do a righteous act. We find this funny story where they run into police who want to stop them, a murderous mystery woman, some neo-Nazis, and a country western band that wants to stop them from going and performing. But they were so convicted, we're on a mission from God, we have to go do this thing. But the reason why is because they wanted to make themselves right. Family, do you realize we're also on a mission from God? Do you realize we are also on a mission of God? But this is not a mission for us to make ourselves right or to try to prove our righteousness, but this is a mission from God from righteousness. Now, when I say we're on a mission from God, your knee-jerk reaction is probably to think, yeah, Matthew 28, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have you, taught you. But often when I say we're on a mission or we think about mission, we think about what we must do. We run to the do, but we forget the beginning of that and the end of that. The beginning of that shows us the who, and the end of that shows us the why. The beginning of that says, Jesus standing on the hill says, I have all authority in my hand. Jesus, all authority, all powerful. At the end, do these things. Why? Because I'm with you. <laughs> when we think about the mission, we always run to the do, but we forget. No, this mission doesn't start at what we do, but it starts at who he is and why he has done this work. Family, as we think about us being on a mission from God, our text today will establish, no, yes, we are on mission, but to know about this mission, we must consider the one who came before, who came for us. We must consider him, and he's the one that establishes the rest for us. We'll turn our attention to the book of Hebrews, which is a book that points all out to how Jesus is better. The first chapter says Hebrew in Hebrews chapter one, it says Jesus is better than the angels. Hebrews chapter two says he is better than Moses. And Hebrews chapter three, where we spend most of our time is why he is better than Moses. It's because Jesus is the one who came to establish glory. Jesus is the one who embodies glory, and we'll end off realizing that Jesus is the one who brings us into glory. See, for us to understand the mission, it's not we need to understand more of what we do, but we need to look more upon who it is who establishes these things for us. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling. What is this heavenly calling? 
Well, the author is going to say, if you want to know how to share in this heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Now, an apostle is one who was sent to do a work, and a high priest is one who has done a work. So later on in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, it actually tells us who Jesus is. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, 12, verse 2, the first part of it says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, meaning he was the beginning of our faith and he is the ending of our faith. He is the one who did the work and he is the one that done the work. He is the one who has set the establishment. What is this holy calling? Oh, that a perfect, glorious work has been done. And we are now a part of this holy glory. Oh, he, the author of Hebrews is establishing this argument. He says, Jesus came from glory to establish glory and keep your eyes on the one who points to glory. The great commentary, uh, Matthew Henry, a a pretty quick commentary to grab. It says, Christ is considered to be as the apostle of our profession, the messenger sent by God to man, the great revealer of the faith which we profess to hold, of that hope which we profess to have as Christ the Messiah, anointed for the office both of the apostle and high priest, as Jesus our Savior, our healer, the great physician of souls, consider him thus. Consider what he is in himself, what he is to us, and what we will have, what we, what he, and what he will be to us here for and forevermore. Family, as we think about missions, how often do you think about the fact that Jesus, who sat in all perfection and all glory, stepped out of it? He, he, he knew nothing broken. Everything was perfect. Yet Jesus, who dwelled in perfection, stepped into brokenness. A world with hunger, poverty, broken relationships, corrupt governments and leaders. And yet Jesus, who dwelt in pure bliss and glory, he came and experienced all of it. Our Savior was hungry for us. He thirsted on our behalf. Him being born as a lowly, in a lowly manger actually shows Jesus experienced what poverty looked like. He had broken relationships. His own brothers and his family and his cousins and all of them turned their backs on him at one time, called him crazy. Yet he said, who is my brother and my sister except those who do the work of the Lord? Jesus came into a society that had a corrupt government. Herod wanted to kill children. Yet this is the world Jesus was born in. Leaders wanted to end Jesus. Yet this is the world Jesus came into. Jesus experienced the fullness of the brokenness of our world. Have you ever considered that? Jesus experienced everything you experienced. He experienced every pain you experienced. Matter of fact, further in Hebrews, it says we have an advocate that understands us. He experienced it all. Why would he do this? Why would one from glory come to establish glory? 
Or if we look back at our text in verse 2 to 3, it's because Jesus embodies glory. It goes on as the writer says, he was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. It says, if you want to know how glorious God was, let's go back to the Old Testament, to their, their testament of a glorious man. They knew the story of Moses. This was the man who brought them out of slavery into deliverance. He took them from Egypt following after, after God. This is the one who was bringing them into the presence of God himself. Yet this Moses couldn't go into the presence of God. We actually see in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34 through 35, when the tabernacle was being erected, it says, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. But Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, why couldn't Moses go into the tent of meeting? Well, in the Old Testament, whenever the presence of the Lord came and dwelt in a place, the only thing that could come in front of him was something that was perfect. And as good as Moses was, he was far from perfect. We actually plan on going through the book of Exodus in the summer. You will see as good as Moses was, he is far from perfect. And as good as you can try to be, you are far from perfect. But then, he says, for Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses. Just as the builder has more honor than the house, now every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. The writer of Hebrews is saying, the reason we consider Jesus is because Jesus is the very embodiment of glory. He's making a real big argument about Jesus being God. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm going to walk you through this. Six or five times he actually says that Jesus sat down at the hand of the, ma and the majesty on high. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, when it actually talks about he is the radiance of God's glory. The exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by the powerful, his powerful word, by making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Then later on in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Now to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool? Then later on in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 through 2, he says, Now the main point of what is being said, he, we have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. A minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not by man. If that's not enough for you, Hebrews chapter 12. He, I mean, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12. He says, but this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Oh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. For the joy that lay before him, he endures the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What is the author making this argument? That unlike Moses, who delivered great Israel, Jesus is the better Moses because he is the glory of God itself. He is the only one who could dwell in God's presence. So when the writer of Hebrews is saying, consider Jesus, he's saying, look at glory. Looking, looking, glory. He embodies true glory. 
How often do you look at glory? Do you see Jesus as a glorious one that you spend all of your time meditating and think about his goodness? The great Puritan John Owens, in his book, The Glory of Christ, he says, one of the greatest privileges that believers have, both in this world and for eternity, is to behold the glory of Christ. This is the great privilege we have. This is actually the very reason we exist. Many of our confessions, the Westminster Catechism, chapter one, verse 1, actually says the chief end of man is to glorify God in all his ways. That is why we exist. And the London Baptist Confession, it literally says he does all things for his glory. And this is why we come into his glory. This is why we exist. So why do we exist? Why as we think about missions and we think about this mission of from God, we think about glory. Because Jesus was the first missionary. He was the true first missionary. One who brought hope and faith to this world. We had glimpses of it. We had glimpses of other great deliverers, but Jesus is the only good deliverer. He's the only one that actually finishes the job. And how does he finish this job? Well, he finishes this job by bringing us into glory. Jesus, he brought us to glory himself. Look at verses 5 and 6 at me, with me in Hebrews chapter 3. It says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testament to what would be said in the future, meaning Moses did a great work and his testimony would continue to live on all throughout history. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household. And we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. The writer of Hebrews is saying is the mission that Christ was sent for is to establish, embody, and bring glory. And now the mission of the church, you and I, our mission on this earth is just to be glorious. Just to enjoy the Lord in all that we do. Seeking to, do, seeking to give God glory in all that we do. So what does that look like? What, what, what does it look like to seek to give glory to God in all that we do? That means when we go to work, we just work as though we're trying to honor and glorify the Lord. Not because we're seeking righteous rewards from him, but we're seeking to just glorify him because we're glorious. We have been washed, and we literally have the fingerprints of glory. But if we were to do a forensics te test right now and see everything you touch in your life, will fingerprints of glory be shown everywhere? Will we see glory in your relationships, how you honor those around you? Or will we see that sin has crept in, and you are destroying everything? There's only two options, glory or death. There's no in-between. There's no ambiguity. There's only two options. We either do everything for glory for God or we do everything for ourselves. and ourself we lead to sin and destruction. Charles Spurgeon, he said this once in a prayer. He says, Lord Jesus, cause me to know in my daily experience the glory and sweetness of thy name. 
and then teach me how to use it in my, in my prayer so that I may be a prince prevailing with God. His prayer, he was saying, I just want to taste glory, everything I do and everything I do. I want to show God's glory. I want to live as a prince, as one who now embeds and who, who enthrones glory with my Savior. This is who we are. Those who testify to be believers, those who testify that Christ has done a great work in us, you are now considered glorious. Not laborers, but sons and daughters. Not, not, not slaves, but children. Yes, Paul did say, I am a slave to Christ, but his slavery was different than the slavery of this world. The slavery of this world kept him in bondage and said, I'm holding him down. Slavery to the Father is saying, I just enjoy my father and I trust my father and I get to experience the glories of my father in all that I do. See, this is a different kind of bondage. This is a different kind of work. So when I think, when I say, what's the mission of the church? Are you still thinking, well, I just got to do more. I got to try harder. No. No, I want you to think, as someone who's on a mission from God, I'm on a mission to just behold glory and let it engulf every part of my life. So every part I go, everywhere I go, just like Moses' face shine with glory, I will just shine with glory. When you, when you have spent enough time, when you have spent month, a lot of time just beholding God's glory from reading his word, from prayer, and not doing it as a checklist, but doing it because you enjoy him it just shows different in the rest of your life. Everyone can tell this man has spent some, this man or woman has spent some time with God. This is where our confidence comes from. Not in the works we do. Every week we pray at J.P. Thomas, but us going to pray at J.P. Thomas every Wednesday, that is not where our confidence lies, but it lies in the one we pray to, who allows us to pray to him. When we did outreach prayer walk in the community, our confidence did not lie in the works that we did walking this community, but the one we know who is, who is faithful to respond and answer. Our confidence, as we do discipleship groups, we don't do this because we're like, oh, okay, we just got to do it because the church keeps talking about it. No, no, we sit down, we read the word together because we want to enjoy each other's presence as we're enjoying him. See, this is just marks of glory. This is marks of you enjoy your father. My question is, do you enjoy the Lord? Do you truly believe that this is glorious or does this feel sound laborious, laborious? Couldn't get the word out. If this sounds laborious to you, I want to ask you, have you actually tasted and seen his glorious works? Have you put your faith in the work that has been done on your behalf? Have, have you done what it says in 1 John? We have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. See, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. This isn't just a verbal confession, but this is actually a true experience. Have you experienced the Savior? Have you touched glory? In a few moments, our church, we get to join together as those who say, we have touched and seen glory. 
And we get to actually eat of the sacraments together, which is a glorious reminder that this body was broken for our behalf. This blood was shed on our behalf. But why did it happen so that we could be made glorious? Maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't think I've tasted and seen glory before. I don't think I've experienced glory. I don't think I know what it means to enjoy the Lord. Family, let me tell you. The reason we consider Jesus the high priest and the apostle of our faith is because he's the one who stepped down from him glory. He embodied glory. He lived perfectly without sin. He has experienced everything you and I have experienced except he didn't sin and we have. Yet our sin was put on him at the cross. He took the death we should have experienced, but we actually receive a life that he has. And our sins were put in a grave. Buried deep. But yet our glorious king came out and he came with all power in his hands. And he says, all those who put their faith in me and trust in me, you are now glorious. That is where your faith is today. We come to this communion table. That is you who are welcome to eat as a family member of one who is, in a, who is welcome to this glorious household of the Lord. But if you have not put your faith there yet, if you don't think your sins have been dealt with, if you think you're too far away from the Lord, if you feel as though there's some things I still need to work out before I come to God, this ain't for you yet. Because there's nothing you can do to fix you but repent and confess and believe in the one who said, I have done it all. So we are on a glorious mission. We're on a mission from God, of glory. And we're on a mission from God. But unlike Elroy and Jake, who was on a mission trying to redeem themselves, our mission is just to live as those who've been redeemed. Just to sit in it, enjoy it, knowing that one day we would get to sit on the throne with our Savior and enjoy our Father as we're being made whole by the Holy Spirit for all of eternity. Are you on this mission with us? Have you tasted glory yet? If not, today is the day you can experience glory. Will you pray with me? Father, today we come to you longing to taste your glory, to experience your glory, and praying that you will help us experience you through the taking of your elements and we will leave this place as those who have seen the face of glory. Lord, I know often we think, we think we must do more. We think of what else can I do? We always feel as though we're falling shorter and shorter. But Father, I pray today that you would encourage us to just put our hope in you to cast our concerns to you, to trust in the work of your Son, and long for the day when we will see our faith become sight. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today, those who are longing to experience your glory firsthand. I pray as we prepare our hearts to take these elements to remember what has been done on our behalf, that we would get to experience a glimpse of glory now. As we sing worship to you, 
our singing would be a singing, joining in with the angels looking upon your glorious face. And we would know that we are welcomed because you have done it all. You have paid the price and you have brought us forth. So Lord, we lift this time up to you. We lift these moments up to you. And we trust that it is done. We ask all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.